You're listening to sermons from Church on Bayshore in Niceville, Florida. Our mission is to do whatever it takes to see people believe in Jesus, belong to God's family, and become who God created them to be, impacting the world for Christ. To learn more about our church and to find additional resources, including ways to connect, serve, and give, visit churchonbayshore.org. We're glad to have you guys with us. We'll have a couple baptisms coming out of that group, and so we're so excited. If you're here with us today for the first time or watching online for the first time, we are so glad that you're with us. We'd love to connect with you. I encourage you to text the word CONNECT to the number that is going to be on the screen, and one of our CONNECT team members will follow up with you this week. Whether today is your first day with us, or you've decided to join our church this week, or you've been here a long time, or maybe you have a different church family, being a part of a church means that we as a body are committing to growing up together. We as a church want to do whatever it takes to see people believe in Jesus. Maybe that's you today. You know there's a separation between you and God. You are the reason for the separation. God is holy, God is good, God created you to walk with him and know him, and you've said, I'm gonna do my own thing. But you know, greater than any need in your life is the desire to be reconnected with your heavenly father. There's nothing you can do to make that happen, but God has sent Jesus Christ as the substitution for the punishment you deserve for the life that you've lived. And if you will believe in him, for righteousness, you will be saved, and we hope that today that's your long, the longing of your heart and the confession of your lips. We wanna see people belong to God's family. Perhaps there's a disconnect between your profession of faith and the way that you live out your faith, and the reason for that might be that you aren't a part of God's family the way he has designed you to be, and so maybe you would consider joining and serving and growing as a part of this church. And then lastly, we wanna see people become who God has created them to be by doing the things God has said, by trusting him and seeing how his Holy Spirit will be at work in your life. And we believe as we do this, we will impact the world for Christ more and more. Now the verses that our walk through Ephesians brings us to today, Ephesians chapter four, verse 15 and 16, give us a vision for what it takes for the church to grow. As I say that, I wanna clarify what I mean by growth because definitions matter. We typically think of church growth as bigger. Bigger attendance, bigger buildings, bigger budgets. Now bigger can be better. We are grateful for how our church has seen a skyrocket in attendance. We're thankful for the buildings that we have and look to the future to have. And we're grateful for the record giving numbers that we have. But bigger is not always better. And when it comes to growth of the church, we are viewing it in a very superficial way if we're only talking about these numbers. Uh, I'm a Florida Gator fan. A documentary has come out again highlighting how good the Gators were in the late 2000s. And as I'm kind of watching that, I remembered that Tim Tebow, when he was this incredible college athlete, was about 6'2", 240. I was also about 6'2", 240. So on paper, Tebow and I were the same but when you examined us, we were not. Numbers can be deceiving. And God has much more in mind when he speaks of growth, more than we can ask or imagine. So let's walk through Ephesians chapter four, verse 15 and 16, 
And we're gonna talk about six characteristics of a growing church that these verses identify. Verse 15 begins with the word rather, if you notice, or maybe it's but or instead in your translation. So this indicates a contrast being made by Paul. The contrast that Paul is making is between the negative consequences of the church not being full of people using their calling and gifts for the building up of the body. If you were here last week, hopefully you remember that he said the reason that God gave us callings and gifts was according to verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So we ought to be growing up and maturing in our Christ-likeness. We ought to be becoming like Jesus. But Paul says there will be those who are cunning and there'll be those who have crafty and deceitful schemes and they will lead people away from Jesus. And he gives a contrast, which is found here in verse 15 and 16, and it's the solution for the church. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Pray with me. God, help us to tune out the noise. Help me to tune out the noise. And help us to focus on your word and what it says and what we ought to do in response to it. God, may I decrease, may you increase as we look at your word and may that, may that be the prayer of all of my brothers and sisters in this room now. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The first characteristic that Paul points out here that is to be said of a growing church is that we are centered around and committed to the truth. We are centered around and committed to the truth. He says, speaking the truth. Now, the word truth referred to here in the Greek is the word aletheia. It means objective truth. Now, I have to say this because of our culture. Speaking the truth here doesn't mean just speaking your mind. Because your mind is prone to wonder, as we just sang. Your mind can deceive you. You have to put on the mind of Christ. You need to know the word of God. That's the kind of truth that you ought to be speaking. And so we want to celebrate every truth warrior in our day, but we're talking about God's truth. It's aletheia. It's not a created truth. The world doesn't make this truth. The world doesn't shape or change this truth. It's the truth. Not one truth for me and a different truth for you, but the truth for all of us. Today, there is an increasing rejection of absolute truth. Some would say that truth is whatever you see to be truth. This is called relativism. As we have increased in our connectedness globally, we are aware that some truths are relevant, rel relative, like what we would say is good food. That's relative. Or what is considered entertaining is clearly relative, even in my own house. But we have erred in thinking that all truth is relative. I remember reading uh, philosophy about relativism, and it, and it described it in this way. It said, take there being, uh, take, take this situation where there's an elephant. And you have all these people who've never seen an elephant, and they have blindfolds on, and they're at different sides of the elephant with a blindfold on, and they're asked to describe the elephant 
based on what they feel. The person who's rubbing the trunk or the, the rear of the elephant or the legs of the elephant, they would feel and describe an elephant in a different way. And so philosophers have said, so they're all right. But the problem with this is if you take the blindfold off, there are clear distinctives about the elephant that are true of the elephant. And so that might be a limited perception, but it's not actually the entire truth. And yet we have erred in kind of this idea that truth is relative to the individual. But none of us really believe that. If you were to go to the bank, knowing you had $50,000 in the bank, and you were to ask the teller to withdraw 10 of those $50,000, and the teller said, I'm sorry, you can't have $10,000. And you said, but it's my money, and you showed the receipts and all that. And they said, well, that might be true for you, but that's not true for us. You immediately do not believe in relativism. No one really does. In many cases, it can be damaging to deny the truth. Hear this. If God is real and God has revealed the truth to us and he has designed things in a certain way and we deny that truth or de-emphasize that truth or reject that truth, we harm ourselves temporally and eternally. If God has defined marriage and gender and we come up with our own definitions, we are removing ourselves from the protection of God's design and surrendering ourselves to the consequences of the flesh. If God has given us instructions on money and we say, it's my money, I will do with it what I will, we have removed ourselves from trusting God with our finances. If God has given us guidance about how to treat one another and we do as we see fit or as our culture guides, then we are saying, Satan, you run my relationships. Today, at least in our society, we are moving more and more towards secularism and ideas that see the scripture as old-fashioned, restrictive, and irrelevant. It seems that at least some churches are drifting towards de-emphasizing the truth in exchange for a Christianity that is more acceptable to people who believe you do you and find yourself or find your truth. And there is this idea that the church needs to progress with the changes to be relevant. But what we value here as our church is this. Our changing world needs the unchanging word. Our world that is less and less certain and less and less secure and more and more confused about who they are do not need churches that de-emphasize the Bible and hide the Bible in the closet, but put it right out front and center. I'm telling you that people are spiritually starving in our culture and the only thing that satisfies is the word of God. And so our sermons need to be saturated in the scripture. Our life groups, our Bible studies need to be deeply connected to the scripture. And our relationships need to point people to the word of God. We live in a great country where we have unprecedented amount of freedom. But I believe that some of us have elevated freedom to the highest place instead of God. And so when somebody brings you the word of God and it conflicts with your freedom, you submit to freedom instead of the word of God. God is in the highest place, and so if what God says says we need to change, then we need to change. And you see, it's not just progressivism. It's anyone who sees themselves or their worldview as the authority. We looked at Galatians earlier this year, and we see Paul correcting the legalism that existed among the Judaizers. And then he asked them in Galatians 4, 16 and 17, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. He's saying, I'm speaking the truth. I'm talking about God's word. And they are talking about a man-made view. 
and they want you to believe in their viewpoint so that you may make much of them and they will flatter you with this. And we all need to continually submit ourselves to the word of God in the midst of all kinds of viewpoints that are out there. Paul told us in Ephesians 2 that we need to be built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. That means what God spoke through the New Testament is foundational to what we do as a church. And so you and I need to be in the word and we need to be people who encourage others to be in the word. As a church, we've always gotta be figuring out how do we address the tension that people are having in their marriages? We've always gotta address how do, how do people, we gotta address the money problems that people have certain character issues. These are topical things that come up. And as a church, we need to have an avenue to address these issues. And so there's a temptation to say, well, we'll just talk about those on repeat on Sunday mornings and in our life groups and whatever it may be because we have people coming in with felt needs. I'm sure some of you who are visiting with us are coming to our church and maybe you came last week and I was talking about apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. You're like, why do I care about all that? My marriage is not in a place it should be. I get that. But can I just tell you something why we emphasize the scripture? Because whether your life is in shambles or you're doing good and you wanna stay on the right track, I want you to hear this. The most important thing that you can do practically is be in this yourself. Is understand that God has spoken to you because he loves you and he wants you to know him and to know yourself and to know how you ought to live. And so we want to emphasize this and for this to be center. And we want each of us to be reading the word of God and letting it read us. We wanna be committed to and centered around the truth. Paul says speaking the truth, but he says speaking the truth in love. The second characteristic of a growing church is that all activity is rooted in and covered with love. Robert Bractor says that speaking the truth certainly includes the element of speaking but it's probably broader in scope, including disposition and action as well. John Stott calls this truthing in love. There is this idea that we live our lives committed to the knowledge of the truth out of love. As a Christian, the reason that I do what I do is because Christ loves me. First John four nineteen, we love because he first loved us. That's the source of our love. And we must always be doing what we do rooted in that love that God has for us. And then, and then secondly, I would also say this, that we ought to know that knowledge puffs up and love builds up. And so we might be able to spout off a bunch of facts about the Bible, but the reality is it is love and using the word of God, which is from God in his love, to love people and help them be pointed to that. So the desire to speak truth and make correction is in love and because of love. And so how do you know if someone's you know, really speaking out of love, if they're correcting and they're teaching the word of God or whatever it may be, you listen. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Do they continue to display love for people and love for God or otherwise? Let me just say five thoughts here. We don't villainize people who disagree with us we try to understand them and equip them if we think they are wrong. And we remain humble all along. Secondly, we don't excuse Christ-like behavior in the name of truth because Jesus is the way and he's the truth. 
and he's the life. Third, Jude 22, we have mercy on those who doubt. If somebody doubts the reliability of the word of God and the things of God, we have mercy on them. Fourth, we don't view people who are lost in need of behavior changes. We view them as sheep without a shepherd. And our goal is not to modify their behavior, it's to change who their heavenly father is or who their father is. And then lastly on that, I would say this. When we speak about each other, brothers and sisters in Christ, we ought to remember that we have the same father. And so when I go to say something about someone, I remember who their dad is. And I don't wanna speak about his children in that way. I have a bunch of kids in my house. They talk trash about each other. It happens in your house. And sometimes I have to say, you know that's my child too, right, that you're talking about. We ought to remember that and how we talk about people. You see, our church, I love this. We have a great emphasis on the scripture. I think people in this area know that. But that ought to be leading to love. God's growing me in this. I think the older you get in the word of God, the more firm you become about the truth and the more gentle you become towards people. And that should be happening in your life, this humility, this selflessness, as you seek to be someone who is committed to the word of God. And I I think for that to, to function the way it should, you really do have to agree to this value that we have as a church and I think is reflected in the, in the Bible. We takes priority over me. We takes priority over me. Uh, Pastor Eric Reed out of, out of Nashville, uh, he wrote one time about how the way that you can tell if someone is mature in Christ is when they don't get their way. And they could seem mature in Christ until they don't get their way. And then you see a whole different side of them. And I think what happens in church is we have these surface level relationships and we never really see somebody in those moments and so we don't see these great problems until, until we do, until something's happened in their marriage, until something's happened in culture, until something's happened in the church. You know, I, we have a lot of kids in our church and I'll tell parents a lot of times, I'm like, man, your kids, I'm like, your kid's perfect. And the parents are like, ooh, yeah, not so much. And then like later along, I'll see that kid not get their way and I'll say, oh, okay, that's what the parents are referring to. Mine too, so no, I'm not judging you, you know. And I'm just telling you that we, as people of God, still have to honor Christ when we don't get our way. And when we speak the truth, and we're committed to the truth and the right things, it's got to be in love if it's honoring Jesus. And that is a characteristic of a growing church. The third characteristic I would say here is this. We embrace people for who they are and equip them not to stay that way. We embrace people for who they are and equip them not to stay that way. You'll see why I said that. The first thing Paul says here in this verse, sorry, not the first thing, but another thing Paul says here in this verse is that we are to grow up. We're to grow up. We should grow up. We should become more like Christ. The grow, to grow up is a Greek word, oxano. And that same word is used to refer to the lilies of the field. When they grow, see how they grow. And so when you think about this kind of growth, what brings about this kind of growth is the roots and the soil and the environment. But typically when we're thinking about growth, we're thinking like, external growth, but the lily grows because of what's happening in the environment and in the soil and its roots. And so the kind of growth that we want to see take place is the environment, the culture of the people of God. 
Will Mancini says that in short, true growth, quantitative growth, must always be connected to the gospel bearing fruit, qualitative growth. And so what we want to see take place is this, this culture, this DNA of people who are focused on the roots of people's lives, the environment in which people are in, the soil that exists. And so we can become easily focused on the metrics that programs produce, behaviors, patterns, numbers, but central to all of the function of the church must be people investing in people, reproducing the DNA of Christ, disciples making disciples, as was said earlier. This is according to the scripture. One of our values here is that programs do not make disciples, people make disciples. Programs are great. I mean, the Praetorian Project, it's a, it's a program. We have programs in our church. They're great, but they are tools for people to make disciples, and we must never neglect that. We must never neglect that. I do wonder if the incredible felt need today for professional psychologists with a common assumption, where else could you possibly turn, whether this feeling is owing in large measure to a flaw in the way we do church. Now, I'm in no way denying true psychological illness nor the value for trained professionals. In fact, I am currently encouraging several solid believers to pursue education and licensure as I believe we need more Christians in this growing field. And I would say some people, I love you, but you do need therapy. But I, I didn't mean that to be funny. But I also wonder if along with that, if there is a great felt need here, because as the people of God, we are not doing what God has called us to do. Think about it for a minute. How do counselors help people? And many of them do. They meet with them one-on-one -on -one to listen to them and point them to the truth. They also often encourage or arrange personal group meetings with others facing similar struggles. And of course, they prescribe medications if suitable. Now again, I think we can be thankful for these things in many cases. But isn't it amazing that when Christians seek help from professionals short of medication and mental illness, the help we get comes from one-on-one -on -one or group sharing. Hopefully wise, insightful, prayerful, loving conversation. But notice this. It is possible for small groups, we call them life groups, to be another impersonal in, in time where we learn some more about the Bible, do not minister to each other in an interpersonal way, and don't experience the power of the Holy Spirit, leaving a void in our life. And it is also possible to lean into the supernatural supply of the Holy Spirit and to minister to each other in ways that might lead people to become mature and stable in their faith, moving from infants to mature believers Never perfect, but always growing. The text tells us here we are to grow up in every way or in all things. And so we aren't avoiding issues because they're uncomfortable or because they're tough. And we don't become focused on one issue because we feel like if we're good at that one issue individually or as a church, then we can neglect all the other areas of our life. You see, being a healthy disciple is like being a tire. If you have a flat in the tire, 
It affects the whole tire. If there's one hole in the tire, it affects the whole tire. And so we're concerned with all the areas of our life. We don't compartmentalize certain areas of our life and feel justified about neglecting the others because we wanna give it all to Jesus because he deserves all. And so the church ought to be full of embracing people for who they are and then equipping them not to stay that way. And I feel like in our culture, we have churches that are either really good at embracing people for who they are and never point them to Jesus, or who are really good about saying, this is what you're doing wrong and equipping you, but then have a hard time embracing people who they got issues. And here is why. Psychology, which in my opinion is of great value, cannot replace the community that helps each other grow in every way. Because we're to grow in every way into him who is the head into Christ, Paul says. Fourth characteristic of the growing church, Christ is both the source and the goal. Howard Hayner said that in his commentary. Christ is both the source and the goal. So everything we do is under the authority of Jesus. He's the means and he's the end. It's rooted in him and it's directed towards him. So all of our life philosophies and programs and things we wanna do in our life, the gospel's the filter through which we see all those things. And our motivation in every aspect of our life should be who Jesus is. That's what it means to be gospel-centered. It means to be centered around Jesus. The emphasis is on Jesus. And we cannot drift away from that. Paul warns the Colossians about this. Look at Colossians 2, verse 18 and 19. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Paul's saying, you have to stay focused. You have to have a grip on the head, which is Jesus. You cannot drift away from that in whatever you're doing. So if you have your methodology and you have your theology and you have your behaviors that you like and you have your programs that you like and you have your passions and you have what you call your callings, they can't move on past Jesus. And what you see happening in Christianity today more and more is groups of people or churches who they become focused on something and they're not even talking about the gospel anymore. The hymn isn't that we need him every Sunday or that we need him every once in a while. It's that we need him every hour. Every day of our life as a Christian should be dependent on the work of Jesus Christ and pointing to the glory of Jesus Christ. We wake up every day with that mentality. Repentance is not something that happened one time in our life. It's something that happens every day. The gospel is taking root and fleshing itself out in our life every day. And we as a Christian want to be like Jesus and we want the glory of Jesus. One of our values here is that Jesus is not a part of life. He is life. It's all about him. He's just not one part of James Ross. He's every part of James Ross. I want my marriage to reflect Jesus. I want my parenting to reflect Jesus. I want how I interact wherever I go in the community to reflect Jesus. Everything that we do should reflect Jesus Christ. And so, remember what Paul says. He says, walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Your calling, primarily, is to be a child of God. And so people justify a lot in terms of what they feel is their calling, whether that's vocation or passion, but if it isn't submitted to the calling to salvation, then it's not in the right place. And if it's centered in the right of salvation, excuse me, in the right place, under salvation, that will filter through everything that you do.
And it says, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Christ is the source and the goal. And number five, our shared vision here, then, is the equipping of each other to become more like Christ. That's our shared vision here, to become more like Christ and to help each other to become more like Christ. We can say that in a lot of fancy mission and vision statement ways. <laughs> but you know what I'm here for? Is to help you become more like Christ. And you know what you're here for? To help me become more like Christ. To help, help each other become more like Christ, just for clarity. That's what we're here for. The text says, joined and held together by every joint which means there's contact here. And Aristotle wrote about this word and he would say that two things had to mix to come in contact. Robert Bracker says that it might be better to say it this way, as every joint in the body helps to hold the whole body together. This is not passive. God has not called you to be a spectator. God has not called you to let the professionals do the work. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow. Working properly there, that the only time that that Greek word is used is to describe supernatural power. God's design is for his spirit to work through us for his body to grow. A lot of times when we think about growth, we think about numbers and buildings and dollars and organizational structures. And if we're honest, we don't need the Holy Spirit for any of that. That's not what God has in mind for his church. What God has in mind for his church is a culture that reflects dependence on Jesus Christ, is a unity that takes humility, is reconciliation that denies self, is discipleship that changes homes, is evangelism that sees people from Buddhist background come to glory in Jesus Christ. And is multiplication that sees not just growing your church as the answer, but the glory of Jesus's name spreading. And to do this requires God. One of our values is if our goals don't require dependence on God, they are not big enough. Here's what we mean. We don't want to look back in 10, 15, 20 years and say, see this program and this philosophy and the strategy that we had? We did it. We wanna look back and see story after story of how the gospel has changed people's lives, how Jesus Christ has saved people and changed them. And the love of God is on display in their life. This is our shared vision to equip each other to become more like Christ if we're a growing church. Lastly, the last characteristic of a growing church is that the result of what we do is the depth and the width of the glory of God. Look at what Paul says at the end there. So that it builds itself up in love. So as the church is doing all these things, it's being built up in love. And why are we loving? We love because he first loved us. And so the church that is growing 
the world says, man, that church is great, is constantly saying, no, Jesus is great. Jesus is great. Paul starts with speaking the truth in love and he ends with being built up in love. This is the mission that we have been invited to. All of us, every one of you. Our church doesn't do missions. We're on mission. We don't have a missions program. We don't just cut checks to missions. We don't just have a few select missionaries. Every one of us who call this our church is a missionary. What is that mission? It is to equip each other, equip each other to be more like Christ. And it is for that love that we have for each other, becoming like Christ, to overflow. By this, Jesus says, all men will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. This is what God is calling us to. I have some older kids now. They have become very independent. They don't need me for a whole lot. But I have younger kids, and they remind me when we're on the playground or we're walking across you know, a bridge over water or we're going through some woods that they don't understand, and they get a little scared. But there's a phrase that changes everything for them, and it's me saying, I'm right here. And it changes everything for them. I'm right here, and I'm not going anywhere. And it gives them a confidence to go on a bigger set of monkey bars and a darker set of woods and to go to sleep at night And I just want to remind you of this. Jesus told us in the Great Commission, all authority has been given to me. So just for clarity, I might give a lot of confidence to my kids. This is the king. And he's saying all authority has been given to me. Not like some authority, not like authority delegated by the U.S. government, not like the authority that the church has given me. All authority has been given to me. He says, go therefore, or as you go, Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and I will be with you to the end of the age. He's called you to this. He's called us to this, and he's right here. (laughs) What a great privilege It is that we would even be given this commission and what a great comfort it is that he's with us in it. Let's live like that today. Let's obey him. Whatever it is that God has put on your heart, whoever it is that God has put in front of you, say yes to him. Trust him and know that he's with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Father, I pray this morning as we talk about this way that you work through your church, committed to, centered around the truth, all that activity being rooted in love because that commitment to the truth is in love. God, embracing people for who they are and equipping them not to stay that way because you have better for them. Constantly keeping you as the center and you as the goal. God, sharing a vision together 
of equipping each other to become more like Christ and hopefully seeing your love overflow through us and grow this church deeper and grow the kingdom wider because of your love for your name. I just pray that there's anybody here today that's been living for anything less and the reason why is because you aren't the Lord of their life. I just pray under the conviction of your Holy Spirit and the comfort of your spirit that they would trust in Jesus Christ as their savior today. Call out to him this morning that you need him. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that we would have the courage knowing our father's called us and he's with us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.